The thing about Halloween is that there's a lot of things that are out of the ordinary on that day or even the following days. There's parties, there's extra candy or other treats. Maybe there's a later bedtime, maybe skipped nap time, maybe some school parties, maybe seeing some people that you don't typically see on that day. A lot of things that can be exciting, but also overwhelming for a sensory child. And even though they may be enjoying participating in it and be having so much fun in the moment, don't be surprised if you see what I call a little holiday hangover the days after. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura. OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. All right, let's get into the Halloween tips and tricks for SPD episode. If you hear some thunder and lightning, it's not special effects. It actually just started raining, which is a very rare occurrence these days in Southern California. So I'm actually welcoming it and it actually feels great to be recording a Halloween episode with this kind of vibe in the background. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I can't believe that it's actually Halloween. First of all, it's actually Halloween year-round in this house because Liliana has a huge obsession with witches, villains, pumpkins, spiders, all things Halloween. I have not put away last year's Halloween plates, Halloween crafts, Halloween stickers, Halloween books. They've still been out all year long. So it's actually great that it's still around now that's less work for me to have to rotate toys in. But also, I just can't believe it's October 2021. That's just crazy for me. I was thinking about Halloween from last year, and I remember feeling so worried about how it would feel different in a pandemic. And I remember, though, walking away from Halloween that night, thinking about how better it actually was with social distancing in place, particularly for Liliana, who was an anxious, sensory sensitive kid. And it was in our neighborhood, most houses did like a table or just their candy bucket kind of more at the end of their driveway. So you didn't really have to be like bottlenose or like in close contact with a bunch of kids on like a small porch. And there was very limited pressure, if any at all, to actually knock on doors or be really close to people and talk to strangers because of the social distancing setup. So it made for a super smooth trick-or-treating session. And I'm, I'm actually very curious to see how this year will go if families will do the same modifications. But today I do want to give you some tips for setting your sensory child up for success on Halloween, whether or not they're a sensory seeker or sensory sensitive. And depending on what Halloween looks like, I will share with you some general mindset, expectation type tips and tips on preparing for the actual... (laughs) Sorry. And some tips on preparing for the actual Halloween trick-or-treating event and then I'll even include some alternatives if you think that trick-or-treating might be exceptionally hard for your little one. So first, it's really important for me to preface this entire episode by giving you this friendly reminder as a sensory parent myself, 
I'm no stranger to it. And that's the fact that holidays come with a lot of excitement and routine changes that can often set the quote perfect storm for meltdowns and just general dysregulation. So I I guess what I'm trying to say is manage your own expectations. I'm always realistic, although if my husband were here, he'd nudge me and say that I'm more of a pessimistic person, but I say I'm realistic. Um, And I'm more realistic in how I expect my child to do with a certain activity or an event. So for things like Halloween, I find it most helpful for myself if I just go into it knowing that there is a chance that she will have some sort of meltdown or big emotions or just dysregulation around it in general and that it's okay and it's part of the whole deal. And if she does well, of course, I'm pleasantly surprised, but I'm always the kind of person that just knows like, okay, this comes with the territory and if it happens, it happens. The thing about Halloween is that there's a lot of things that are out of the ordinary on that day or even the following days. There's parties, there's extra candy or other treats, maybe there's a later bedtime, maybe skipped nap time, maybe some school parties, maybe seeing some people that you don't typically see on that day. A lot of things that can be exciting but also overwhelming for a sensory child and even though they may be enjoying participating in it and be having so much fun in the moment, don't be surprised if you see what I call a little holiday hangover the days after. So for this particular year, Halloween falls on a Sunday. So there's some pros and cons to that as you can imagine. One of the pros is they won't be coming from school, which has a ton of extra sensory input, which can make trick-or-treating that night usually harder when they're coming from school all day. So on Sunday, you'll have ideally the whole day to prep, which which actually means just to lay low um, to get them ready for trick-or-treating. The con, of course, is that the next day is a school day and not just any school day, a Monday, which can be hard for a lot of kids, especially sensory kids. So this comes with the later bedtimes on Halloween. Maybe there's a sugar rush, of course, with some candy and just a different nighttime routine on Sunday that can make going to school on Monday a little hard. All right, so let's talk about preparing for Halloween for trick-or-treating. So like the days leading up to it, the week leading up to it, maybe even a month if you feel like you really need to prepare your child. Most of my tips here are geared towards children who may have anxieties or sensory sensitivities that would impact trick-or-treating or Halloween events or make them maybe feel scary for them or even overwhelming for you. Maybe you have a child who's anxious of the dark or has social anxieties around adults or other kids or maybe masks or costumes are triggering for them. Then there's also the sensory sensitive children who are sensitive to the sounds or even just the multi-sensory chaos of Halloween night or even sensitive to the fabric of the costumes that they wear. I think particularly though, if you have a sensitive or anxious young child who's two or three, this might be their first time that they actually remember trick-or-treating, especially if they didn't go last year due to the pandemic or, you know, they were just so young last year. So there's a lot of unexpected things and the unknown is like a huge neon danger sign for kids with SPD or anxiety. So the best antidote for dealing with the unknown is to make it as known as possible. So one of my favorite things to do is to watch YouTube videos, watch YouTube videos of kids going trick or treating and talk about what they're doing. 
point out their costumes, point out the fact that they're walking up to doors and knocking on doors and seeing people behind the doors. Talk about if it will be sunny or dark when they go trick-or-treating. You could even look up the weather and say, oh, it looks like it's going to be a nice cool night that night or it might be hot that night. Social stories is another thing that's super helpful. A social story, if you don't know, is like a really, really short story like maybe one or two minutes in duration, where you write your child as the main character and uh, it's written in the first person. So it usually details a future environment or change or activity, something that they're going to be doing or going to. There's social stories out there that you could make for, for going to the dentist or bringing home a sibling, like literally anything you can imagine that you want to teach or talk to your child about. There could also be social stories written about a behavior or a challenge that you want your child to overcome. The end of the social story is usually a positive ending and how you'd ideally like the scenario to go or to end. And then throughout the story, you explain what your child will be doing or who they'll come into contact with. And and this is the important part. You also talk about how they might feel and what they can do if a problem arises. So you could write a social story about going trick-or-treating and I would recommend putting in as many pictures of your child or the neighborhood or other people or costumes that will be involved. Add in as many realistic photos as possible. So it could be as simple as, here's an example, my name is Liliana. For Halloween, I'm going to be a princess and then I would put a picture of her in her princess costume. When I go trick-or-treating, I'll go in my wagon and walk around the neighborhood with my mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, and then also maybe you'd put a picture there. I will walk up to the door, knock, and say trick-or-treat. Some houses might have scary decorations outside. We can skip those houses. If I feel nervous, I can ask my mom for a hug. I don't have to visit houses I don't want to. And then you can add any details you want them to know about, and then at the end of it, I'd end with something positive like Halloween will be so much fun. It's really that simple. Even if you have more of a sensory seeker and you're worried about maybe how they'll be in a group of kids or being too rough or running away, you can make a social story about having safe behaviors at Halloween time. So you would read this story every day until Halloween and you want them to really know the story enough so that they could almost tell the story to you without reading it. Okay, I have a few more tips for you in terms of just preparing before Halloween, and then I'm going to talk about night of or like day of tips for trick-or-treating. So one important aspect to talk to your child about is costumes. Talk about the idea that costumes are just playing pretend. Some kids might be wearing a mask, some kids might have makeup, there might be a scary person or villain from a movie, but you want your child to understand that it doesn't mean that that actual person, that that witch is actually there. It's just a kid, it's just a person in a costume. You definitely want to role play with this with them if they haven't tried dress up games before, especially if they're really young. This can be a very scary visual to think that the scariest person from a movie is actually there in front of them. You can also show them a map of the houses that they'll be trick-or-treating at. You could use Google Maps. You could literally go around your neighborhood and take pictures and print it out and put it on a page. You could even do a trial run through the same route you walk for trick-or-treating on a regular day, just like walking around that block. If you plan to visit a different neighborhood to go trick-or-treating, which I know is common, try to visit it before you go. 
My last tip, of course, is role playing. It's like a step up from the social store. You're actually moving the body, saying the words, practicing what it will be like for trick or treat. You can practice trick or treating at home. You could tell your neighbor that you're going to do a practice knock on their door. Anything you want to go and do, or you could just do with animals, but role playing it is very helpful. All right, so let's talk night of tips. So on the day of Halloween, on trick-or-treating, I'm going to be specific for this year. So it will be a Sunday, and this leaves you, like I said, the whole day to ideally prep, which should just mean lay low, especially if you have an over-responsive child who will need to save room in their sensory cup for the big excitement of the day. So your goal the entire day is to optimize regulation. So you want to keep meals familiar. You, this is not the day to try to get them to eat broccoli or eggs if it's one of their non-safe foods. You want to offer lots of heavy work and deep breathing activities throughout the day. So you could do like building a fort with pillows, doing some animal walks, helping you vacuum or putting laundry away. I'm going to put a link in my show notes for a heavy work blog that will give you some more ideas on what heavy work is, but it's very regulating for most sensory profiles. First off, no matter how much you spent on the costume or how much time you spent sewing it, don't be surprised and don't take it personally if your child does a last minute, I don't like this costume meltdown. Remember, if you have a sensory sensitive child, the trigger is not the fact that they don't want to be this power ranger, they want to be the other. It's more about maybe the sensory overload from the fabric or just the day in general. So try to keep the big picture in mind. It would be so much more meaningful and memorable to have your child have a successful and positive night of trick-or-treating in quote regular clothes versus in the costume that you bought but not be able to last like two minutes on the trick-or-treat route and have it end in a meltdown. If they do have a last minute change of heart, there's some easy alternatives that you can do last minute. So you can just use makeup to draw something on their face, have them you get dressed in their pajamas, put a hat on them. If your child needs to wear noise-canceling headphones, you could make that part of their costume. So make them a DJ. Actually, noise-canceling headphones is one of my first tips. Depending on your neighborhood, some play some houses play music or like special effect sounds that can be scary outside their houses. And some kids are extra hyper and have a lot of loud noises and screaming and all of that as you pass by. So you might want to bring noise canceling headphones anyway, or even Bluetooth headphones that you can play calming music or some other sounds that might just help them feel safer and calm during the trick-or-treating trip. Another tip is to consider trick-or-treating earlier rather than later. So for obvious reasons, dark equals more scary and then also a later bedtime. So I always go like the first round of trick-or-treating like at 5.30 as early as I can go where I know parents are actually home and able to um, give treats out. Usually when we go early, we catch them before they do their trips out. So there's way less kids um, around the block anyway. Also, I mean, can we just talk about not forcing our kids to say trick or treat? I know I'm probably preaching to the choir and this is more of an issue to take up with those neighbors who insist on your child like performing for them. But if there's a way for you to let your child know in advance that they can skip a certain house or they don't have to say it if they don't feel like it, or maybe they're even not capable or have the skills yet to speak at all, maybe you can just practice saying it for them or giving them a sign or a code um, to let you know if they're uncomfortable with it. 
And the the biggest thing going into it is letting them know that they are not going to be forced to go to a certain house if they don't want to or to say anything they don't want to. The next tip, even if your child has surpassed stroller age, stroller age, like <laughs> the age at which you would use a stroller, if you anticipate a long walk, consider bringing like a stroller or a wagon. This way, if they want to take a break from trick-or-treating, but maybe still want to walk around the block with you, or if you're part of a group, then they can have a rest and it can kind of be more regulating for them in the wagon or the stroller. Because you want to remember that even for our sensory sensitive kids, the whole, just the concept, the idea of just trick-or-treating is fatiguing cognitively in itself. And then now you're adding in physical movement and walking, plus being in a costume at a time that they're usually maybe like at home and resting, um, it can catch up to them very quickly and can add to their sensory cup. If you did bring a wagon, then you could bring bring fidgets or weighted blankets for the wagon if you want to add an extra regulation opportunity. So if you expect your child to have difficulty with transitions, like maybe it's at the end of the night and they're having a hard time saying it's time to go home or just transitioning back to the car, whatever your plan is, is to utilize a time timer. So you might have a physical one. You could also search Amazon for visual timers, but there's also an app called Time Timer that's free that helps children understand um, time a little bit more concretely. My next tip is some sort of checklist that you could print out or have them cross off. So whether you have a printout of the neighborhood houses or maybe you even just draw the neighborhood, like you could, I mean, it doesn't have to be elaborate. You could do like boxes for each house or you could just do a list of like the address numbers and have them look for each address that you go to and knock on the door and they would cross off or add a sticker every time they went to a house, something for your child to keep track of, a tangible list of like numbers of houses that they are going to go trick or treat at. And then this gives them a way to anticipate when there's only a few houses left or the last house after they cross it off, then it's time to go home. If you plan to trick or treat with a group, which I know is common. Maybe uh, you're trick or treating with a group of friends from school, with cousins, with neighbors. I have a tip for you. There can be a lot of social pressure with, you know, which with what houses to approach. Some kids like the scary houses. Some kids are afraid of it. Sometimes the group wants to go for an extra round or go an extra to an extra part of the neighborhood. There's just a lot of pressure that your child might feel uncomfortable with speaking up or saying if they don't want to go to a certain house. So it can be helpful if you and your child come up with a code or a signal. So this works more for like older school age children, but there's a lot of those age children who still have a lot of anxiety and again, have a hard time speaking up. So come up with a code, like um, an ear tug or a thumbs up or something that can they can use to signal to you that they're ready to go home or that they need a hug, or that they feel nervous, or something that you can help facilitate if they are afraid of speaking up and you need to kind of help pull them out of the group. So those are all my tips for a successful night of trick-or-treating with your child who has sensory processing disorder. But remember, I don't know who needs to hear this. If you need this permission, here's your permission. You do not need to take your child trick-or-treating for them to enjoy Halloween. There's so many other things that you can do to make the night feel just as cool and just as special. If anything, I heard from so many families last year that made way more new Halloween traditions just because of COVID and there were no other options for them. And 
it opened up so much more for these families who have more who have more bad experiences with Halloween from the traditional way that we know it. So there's lots of different ways you could do this. You could make a cool fort and watch a movie under the fort. You can still go outside, go on a neighborhood scavenger hunt, but not knock on doors. And you could still walk around, maybe people watch, look at all the cool costumes, keep track of how many cats you see, how many witches you see, how many robots you see, and point out your favorite costumes of the night. There's literally no rules. Just remember, don't be pressured by what you see on social media or Pinterest to just have a quote, perfect Halloween. It, it really doesn't matter. Just make memories with your family and have fun and try to stay regulated. That's my main goal, right? Let's be regulated on Halloween. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, thanks for being here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.